There's a story in the Old Testament, this, this sort of um, random story uh, I want to read. It's from Numbers 21, and uh, it's a story about when they, the, the Jews had just gotten free of Egypt, and they're, they're walking through the desert, and they're, they're, they're getting mad about eating manna. God was supplying them bread every day by this, this crumbly bread on the, on the ground this, that was there every morning. And it says this in verse 4 of chapter, chapter 21 of Numbers. They traveled from Mount Hor along the road to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and, the, and many Israelites died. People came to Moses and said, we've sinned and we've spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. He stood in the gap. He interceded for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then anyone who was bitten by a snake looked at the bronze snake and they lived. What a crazy story. What a crazy story. Jay Stringer addresses this story in, in his book as well. It's an, it's an interesting story that I'm going to refer to in just a second. Basically, what's happening is there's snakes coming among them, and the snakes are biting them. So they, they cry out to God. They, they realize we've, we've sinned against the Lord. We've, we've spoken against him. We've cursed God. We've said, you know, you, you set us free, but it was better to be in slavery. Slavery was better than being with you, God. Slavery was better than, than your promised land that we're, we're supposed to be coming into. And they cursed God and they cursed Moses. And there's these and there's these snakes. I'm not a big snake fan, but I'm not scared of snakes. So I've not told my boys to be scared of snakes. I'm not like a big snake guy. But um, during Thanksgiving, we we're at my mom's house and we were we were hanging out. And the kids went in the backyard. My youngest son was the first one in the backyard, and his cousin trips and falls, and the rest of us are kind of helping the little guy. And I hear this noise in the grass, kind of just going. I look up, and there's a black racer snake. It's like, like this long. It's massive. It's massive. And my son Asher is just standing there, and he doesn't know to be scared of snakes. I've not told him to be scared of snakes. He thinks it's kind of cool. So he stands there, and he's only like this tall, and the snake just comes right up and is shocked, and he stands up as tall as well. And they're nose to nose like this. I'm like, don't move, son. <laughs> That's a nice snake. And he doesn't know to be scared of the snake. And he just sits there and looks at the snake face to face. And the snake just kind of, and goes away. And that was it. I still have dreams about that. But <laughs> <laughs> but Moses takes this snake and he puts it on the pole. And it's like he's saying to them, the very thing that is killing you, I want you to look at it. Jay Stringer says in his book, we are healed to the degree to which we turn and, f and name the very thing that is killing us. We are healed to the degree to which we turn to face and name the very thing that is killing us. We don't run away in the shame. We, we turn and look at the very thing that's killing us. Namely, for them, it was the snakes. Jesus picks up on this. John 3.15, before the famous John 3.16. In John 3.15, he says, in the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert so the people could have something to see and believe, it's necessary for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And everyone who looks up to him 
trusting, and expectant will gain a real life, eternal life. Jesus takes the very poison that we have filled ourselves with because of our own sin. He takes the thing that is killing us, and he's killed. It's an amazing picture of the redemption of God that he says, the darkest place of your life, I already know it, I already see it. You can name it, you can come out of hiding, and I'll take it upon myself. I'll take it upon myself. Shame keeps us in the hiding. Shame keeps us in the blaming. Shame keeps us in the dark. All of us have the darkness. So all of us have places in our lives, either from wounds from others or wounds from ourselves, our own sin. We are all, we are all the same. We're broken. It's amazing that Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, if you just realized, if you just realized you were blind, you'd actually be qualified for my healing. You see, we think, we think if we hide and don't expose the stuff in darkness, that God doesn't, maybe doesn't see it. And we, we make ourselves feel qualified by acting in a way that maybe we're not, looking a way that we're maybe not. What actually qualifies you is that you're disqualified. Your brokenness is what's qualifying you, and your ability to, to come out of hiding and out of darkness is what qualifies you for the very love of God. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said, he said this, I came into the world, just John 9, 39, I came into the world to bring everything into clear light of day, making all distinctions clear, so that those who have never seen will see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and says, does that mean you're calling us blind? Jesus said, if you were really blind, you'd be blameless, but since you claim to see so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. Your blindness actually qualifies you to see in Jesus, to be healed, to be forgiven, to be restored in Jesus. There's two paradigms, I think, I want to, I want to kind of portray of the Christian faith. It's a story that uh, I shared this illustration seven years ago, my first talk I ever gave, which probably no one remembers. And so I'm going I'm to recycle it right now. <laughs> It's a story that really presents this, this illustration, uh, this, this paradigm well. It's a story from Homer's Odyssey, which I'm sure you've been reading recently for your quiet times. Um, book 12. And it's a story of Ulysses. And he is on this journey to get home. And he is traveling past this famous island. And on this island, there are these three demons called the Sirenes. They're on the Starbucks coffee mug as well. Anyway, um, they're passing by this island, and these three sirens are notorious. They're famous for singing music and becoming beautiful women and entrancing and, and tempting men to turn the ship, and then cr they crash, and their men are consumed and, and destroyed. It happened. It, happened they were all, it, was, it was a famous place, famous island. So they are, the men know about this. Ulysses and the men know that they're going to pass by this famous island. And so what he wants to do is he wants to hear the music. He knows the music is, is beautiful, it's glorious. He wants to hear it. So he tells the men, tie me to the mast of the ship. Tie me is with the strongest ropes possible and put wax in your ears so you can't hear the music. And so if I start going crazy, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, do not release me, but I want to hear the music of the sirens. 
And so he begins to go by the, by the island. As the story goes, they begin to sing. And he begins to hear the music. And he begins to just be just begin to be tempted and begins to feel the power of the music. One of the, one of the sirens appears as his wife, Penelope, hadn't seen his years in years, and, he, and she appears to him, and he, he's going crazy, untie me, untie me, and he's going, just going nuts. But the men don't respond. The men just stay straight ahead, and they continue to go past the island, and he escapes in safety. That's one story. The other story is from the story called Jason and the Argonauts, which I'm sure you've read as well. Um, and Jason is doing the same thing. He's going past the same island. He's aware of the same issue. He knows the music is powerful. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the result if he gives in. But before Jason leaves, he decides to hire out the greatest musician, the greatest minstrel in all of Athens, a guy named Orpheus, terrible name. But he decides to, decides to hire this musician out to go with them. So as they approach the island and they begin to hear the music of the sirens, he says to Orpheus to play his music. And the beauty and the power and the glory of that music was more powerful than the sirens' music of temptation. He didn't put wax in his ears. He didn't tie himself to the mass of the ship. He simply had a greater song. And he goes past the island in safety. Those two stories are two paradigms of the Christian life. Many, many, many Christians, if not most, live their lives tied to the mast of a ship saying, I wish I could go after that. Oh, I wish I could take that. I want to experience that, but I shouldn't because it's wrong, or I can't because I'm a Christian, or I won't. And they live with this darkness inside them, with, with this lust, not just sexual lust, but just lust for those things, believing that the sirens offer something glorious, something really free, something really beautiful. And they live their lives with all this stuff, legalism, accountability, consequences, fear, all that stuff of religion tied to the mast of the ship. And eventually, they do get free. And eventually, they go after the very thing that they think will bring life and it brings death. The very thing they think will bring freedom brings bondage. If we live that way, y'all, we will eventually get the ropes untied. And we will eventually just say, I'm going after it. I'm going to cheat on my wife because I've, I've waited long enough. I deserve this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lie about this and make, and make some money. I'm going to do this or that. Whatever it may be that we have longed for. And we compromise, and that darkness grows, and we go that way. The other model, the other idea is that there is a greater song. There's a greater song, the song of the Father, that, it, that it's true, it's real, it's experienced in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And when the darkness comes, and it does, and when the temptations come, there is a greater song that we can experience as Christians that overshadows and overwhelms the lesser pleasures of life, the lesser temptations, good or bad. That paradigm is real, and we kind of sometimes go back and forth between the two. But I wanted to say, like, it begins. It begins with recognizing we've got darkness, naming it, being honest about it. But that darkness cannot be broken by more bonds in your life. That darkness cannot be broken by more rules and more consequences and more things. No amount of laws ever set a human heart free. No amount of consequences ever set the human spirit free. Grace sets you free. 
And so when you experience the love of the Father, when you experience the true love of God, it breaks the power of the lesser things. The addiction to pornography, the, 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 the vengeance you want to get on that person that you're mad at, the greed you feel, the anger, the fear, whatever it may be. It doesn't happen just one time. I'm not, I'm not saying, please don't understand, I'm saying oh, just, you just experienced God one time and you're free and you're good. Just go on your day. It's an ongoing lifestyle of, of coming before the Lord with a broken and contrite heart and saying, Lord, I need you. I want you. I believe your song is better. And then we still have a need for accountability, and we still have a need for real life on life stuff so that we do walk in freedom. I was going to talk about sexual brokenness, but in light of all that I just shared before, I, I don't feel like it's appropriate. But this talk really does, in a way, lend itself to understanding and how we overcome the brokenness in our lives. We don't run from the darkness. We don't deny that there's darkness, real darkness in our own hearts. But we realize that there's a father who looks at you and says, because you realize you have darkness, you're actually qualified for my love. Because you, ex- because you expose that and you walk in the light, you actually are qualified. Have you experienced him? Have you experienced him? Like, have you, is there a time, a moment? Is it, is it real? Like, this, is this stuff, is it happening? Do you feel the love of the Father that you go, man, that is actually better than pornography? His presence, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Is that real? Or does the, the darkness suppress that stuff, the stuff that's, that God has for us, that he's, he's ready to pour out. It's like we have an umbrella over our heads and he's pouring water down of his love and raining down and we can't feel it. We believe it. We're like, I hear it. I see them experiencing it. I see her experiencing it. She's really happy. But it's like I've got this umbrella of shame or fear or condemnation or whatever it may be that prevents me from feeling the downpour of his love, the downpour of his grace. And so I would just ask you guys like this, this week like to just put your heart before him and say, Lord, this is really who I am. There is real darkness. There is real brokenness. There is real fear. This whole thing is evoked and elicited all this stuff in my heart. I just come before you. Would you rain down love? No more pretenses. No more hiding. No more excuses or, or shame. We've asked the Lord to break shame in our church. We've asked the Lord to bring to light these things in our midst. And I I believe he's doing that. And it's hardest right now, I think. I feel like as, even as Jared is coming, I feel like we're in labor. I've heard this analogy for like seven years. It's like seven years of labor. We're about to give birth to something new. I hear this prophetically. The church is in this place of pregnancy and we're birthing something new. I've heard that for seven years. I'm like, maybe it's just wind. I don't know. But, but I, I believe it's true. And the worst part of labor, from what I've seen, from what I've seen, is that last hour or so of pushing, that transition. It's the worst. And right now, it does feel like the worst right now. It feels like this is the moment. This is the moment of pain, sadness, but expectancy as well, and hope as well. So that's, that's my prayer, is that we would believe that God has us in this season 
And there is pain before the birth. There is, there is concern before the birth. And it's okay wherever you find yourself this morning. It's okay wherever that, that feeling lands. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing Tremble. So the team's going to come back up. We're going to sing this song. And I want to sing it prophetically over the darkness in our lives, in our midst, in this situation we just talked about. And I want to sing this with, with prophetic power. Let me pray for us as we sing this last song, and then we'll have some time in ministry. We have plenty of time left. It's only 1130. So, Father, we just come before you, Lord. We just say thank you, Lord, that you are not afraid of our darkness. You are not afraid of the things that we want to run from, Lord. I pray that as we sing this last song, Tremble, that we would make the darkness tremble in our church. We pray you'd bring to the surface the things that you want to heal us from, forgive us for, and deliver us to, that you've set us free from something and you've set us free for something, God. We thank you, Lord, that we can look upon Jesus who took the poison of our sin and took it and died on our behalf. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you.